Have you seen this? Have you seen Wages of Fear? Same thing. Welcome to Have You Seen This? The world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Okay, now first off, there's no sorcerer in this. I want to get ahead of that. No, there is. It's one of the trucks. Right. It's painted on, I think, the truck that uh, the guys get blown up. Is it? Right, but if you watch this for two hours expecting Gandalf in like a pointed hat with like a long gray beard... You're going to be like, what the fuck? What is what is the guy from Jaws? When is he going to meet the sorcerer? It's it's so funny you say that because years ago, uh, when I read Easing, Easy Riders Raging Bulls, uh, this was probably... Mm-hmm. Great book. I think this was 20 years ago, actually. <laughs> um, yes. I uh, remember reading about Blink Sorcerer. Of an eye. I remember reading about Sorcerer thinking, oh, this sounds great. Free kid Sorcerer. And then I was like, wait, there's no Sorcerer? So... And apparently it wasn't just me. Apparently it was audiences at the time, too, were extremely confused by this lack of sorcery. Now, if you come into this as a uh, French Connection Friedkin fan, you're going to love it. If you come to this as a Exorcist Friedkin fan, you're going to have that same reaction. You're going to be like, where's the fucking sorcerer? There's like a a creepy carved idol at the beginning. You're like, all right, let's let's go. Nope. It's funny because... The title was legitimately one of the things that Friedkin himself actually blamed for the poor performance of the movie at the box office. And this one flopped hard, not just yeah, with is, audiences. That is but an exceptionally with, bad title that like tanks your movie. Right. But uh, it flopped hard with audiences as well as critics. I think there were only one or two reviewers who went to bat for it. Everyone else hated it. Um, I think Friedkin had been writing for a fall a little bit because he had been very successful, but he had also burned a lot of bridges. Friedkin, you don't say. Yeah, real, uh, real sweet guy. Yeah. Um, now, something that uh, we hadn't mentioned is that Jen hasn't suddenly developed a more melodious voice. We have a guest on this episode. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I don't know if we, you want to use one of your other personas. Um, but this is our film, uh, our film buddy uh, Darren, yes. who's helped us out on a lot of these other um, movies, and we we brought you on to have your opinion because you're a Friedkin fan as well. Yes, this is the story of Darren H. I mean, Friedkin. We had talked about uh, uh, what what Friedkin fandom do you come from, and you didn't cover where I come from, which is cruising. Right. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. That was one of our earliest episodes too. Yep, and. Um, I have to say, while I don't love this the way I love to live and die in oh. L.A., I was still pretty impressed. Um, in spite of its um, reputation for a long time, people kind of came around to it. Um, I think the other thing that was stacked against it was the fact that it was a fresh take on the wages of fear, um, not just the source novel by George Arnaud, but the immortal classic from Henri-Georges Clouseau, which I 
revisited. I had never seen the whole thing, and uh, it's on Criterion right now. And I would say, fucking take a look at that shit, because you see why Clouseau is considered a master of the thriller, maybe yeah. even more so than Hitchcock, because right. yeah, if there it's are some on Criterion, scenes in that movie. Yeah, if it's on Criterion, you know it's at least as good as Michael Bay's Transformers. <laughs> Uh, or a color of night with Bruce Willis. Yeah, oh, an, an erotic thriller. Yeah, Listen, a dying genre. That erotic thriller program on Criterion was exceptional. The movie Flesh Tone with the bassist from Spandau Ballet is one of the most incredible films I've ever seen, and had one of the best theme songs and one of some of the best softcore. Very excellent film. Not quite as good as Wild Orchid, which was not on that program. But listen, we're getting off topic here. We're getting... that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, say what you will. Color of Night was a what a film. Anyhow, mm. it's something. I mean, it's no body of evidence, but what is right? <laughs> but yeah, well, so... Bruce Willis goes whole hog in Color of Night, doesn't he? Does Willem Dafoe in Body of Evidence? Because I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, no. I'm pretty sure I remember seeing his balls in it. I mean, oh, okay. when don't? Yeah, we? but it's not like right. It's not like um, uh, uh, what uh, Lars von Trier's Antichrist. It's not nothing that overt. It's so funny that you say that because as soon as I thought, what doesn't he go? And I was like, oh, the image in my mind was his dick getting nailed to the floorboards by uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think do that check was... out our do check out our Antichrist episode. By the way, I think that was episode one hundred. Right. Yeah, we I, loved I, it. Yeah, I think that the uh, the the thing though is that. The the, the uh, elephant's trunk in the room, though, is that they were using a stunt dick because wow. Defoe's member was so distracting to the director. Mm-hmm. It's like, can we just get get a regular-sized <laughs> dick so I don't... <laughs> yeah, but to take it back to Sorcerer, the only real big swinging dick on this was William Friedkin at the time coming off mm-hmm. The Exorcist, which was this was back when movies would play in theaters for like more than a year um, if they were incredibly successful. So he went off to not just the Dominican Republic where they shot a lot of the movie, but also Veracruz, Mexico, Israel, etc. Because he was kind of calling his own shots at this point. Um, much to the chagrin of Paramount and Universal, uh, the two studios that were were backing this whole production. Just and think we could I have think... had another Heaven's Gate out of Friedkin or something. <laughs> well, it's it's funny you bring up Heaven's Gate because I was watching this. I've only seen an hour and a half of Heaven's Gate. That's as yeah. far as my tolerance would go. But it definitely. Um, and sorry, Jen. I feel like you were on the cusp of a point, but we've just. We've moved. We've moved to this, and I feel like it's so relevant. It definitely. Yeah, it's all jazz. It falls into that. That's okay. I'll um. Uh, I'll force the wildly careening truck back on the road <laughs> well, eventually. Very appropriate. <laughs> but yeah, this. As I was watching this, it struck me as it's definitely of that sort of bloated. Like, I'm gonna throw life on screen, but like maximalist, dirty life. Um. In this. And I will throw away human life while doing it. <laughs> exactly. It's the, it's the I thing don't think that, anybody died while they were making this, but damn near. Yeah, it's that thing that Jen has a real <clears throat> wild hair about, like 70s dialogue, where it's just sort of, it's very naturalistic to the point where it is not interesting and uh, just kind of tedious. And, <laughs> well, it's uh, terse. It doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it was like so... A, it like was listening to a podcast. It's so uh, uh, 
but both both that and and, uh, and Heaven's Gate have a very sort of like distance to it, um, al- almost like a ver- like a veritatis. I mean, definitely a veritatis, especially well the, ca- mm-hmm. the camera work in Sorcerer. Uh, some of those zooms were just per- my my dream. Um, but uh, yeah, or like the um, like one of the beginning sequences, uh, one of four which set up our main characters. Um, there's a terrorist bombing in in Israel and that's that's pure verite yeah I think um and I think the way Friedkin related it was that when they were shooting their fake terrorist attack there was another there was a real terrorist attack like a couple of blocks away and he actually sent some crew over there to get some crowd shots and stuff like that and then some other wild stuff with um his actors and no extras just you know, residents of Jerusalem. A real so, comedy of errors. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's noises think... off with uh, William Friedkin. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that contributes to the verite feel. But there, yeah. there's just such like a high level of detail to the. T- it's like oh, the word I, I think of is textured. Like all the close-ups of the of mm-hmm. the craggy uh, native Dominicans and and just like people living. It's very seventies. Yes. It's so seventies. Yeah. Or. Or my one of my favorite shots in the entire movie, where um, I forget the scene that it cuts from, but there's like a hard cut to a guy like in an outhouse, just or a shed, just like vomiting and shitting his yes. ass out. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's so that's so good because no, no it's like watch... oh, you need a a guy with a death wish, and then it's like hard cut to just yes. a uh, a Terry Gilliam fever dream of like an old <laughs> man. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's great. And um, Wages of Fear didn't pull punches in depicting kind of the the desolation and poverty of the the Mexican town that it that it starts in. Mm-hmm. But it's like Friedkin Friedkin cracks cranks the dial to eleven. Oh yeah, like in the Dominican Republic, he's like, no, I really want to show you all like the blood and shit and misery. yeah yeah guys like dead in the mud and like burnt and bleeding corpses and yes just, yeah almost almost just, in yeah. a fetishistic way in, in, in how it like settles on the detail and observes it i don't mean fetishistic in the way it's like glamorizing it it's like mm-hmm. uh, so i don't know how to explain it but like by by presenting it objectively but yet filming it kind of beautifully it, it, it's sort of lurid. Yeah. Well, I think in like you could say fetishistic because it it gets your blood racing. It does. It does. Well, it's again, it's like it's fetishistic in the texture. It's almost like obsessive in how textured it is and how and and how like grimy and it's like it's like they haven't bathed. It's they haven't bathed for like twenty days and have like skin lesions and have <laughs> lesions on their lesions and like rotted. T- it's like it's like so much and it's like so many people that amount of like humanity on screen it's kind of like it's definitely of and i feel like it falls into a similar category of like the last movie the dennis hopper going to like a a, a latin american country shooting with that many people having that much freedom sort of like flopping hardcore but some people think it's a masterpiece and like becoming this like misunderstood thing and like it's definitely a, a a farewell like you just don't get that anymore. The only other movie I can think of that came out afterwards that still held on to that was another Chimino, which was um, Year of the Dragon, which has that same kind of like lived in maximalist yet like 
quotidian maximalism. Does that make sense? Okay. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah because you have, uh, in the movie, you come across, you know, a dozen or so people that, like, you see them, but, like, you never learn their name. You don't know who they are. They don't have any lines. But, yeah, you're you're deeply involved in just sort of this, like, you know, mass of anonymous people. Like, they're all people going about their lives. And um, I think that the thesis of the movie is, um, because, as Jen mentioned, we get uh, four vignettes of everyone, of, like, the backstory of how everyone got gotten in this situation. And one of them is a French guy who is, um, I guess he's Frog One. If you're uh, going to use the uh, um, uh, uh, French connection parlance. Um, the but... William Friedkin expanded you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, so frog one, like he's, um, uh, he's about to be done up for, for fraud, possibly bribery, some other things. Um, his associate, his associate um, commits suicide in his car. Um, but while we just have some, again, some of this like humanity background texture of his, his wife is editing uh, a novel and um, she reads this vignette of the um, uh, of the uh, some some soldier poet saying like oh I I lower my arm and the cannons fire and this woman is obliterated and it's like oh well how how I wonder how I'm going to meet my end and he says you know it, it'll probably j- just be you know some soldier but you know the wife is like well no one's ever you know just anything. Like everyone's mm-hmm. got their whole background. I think that's the real thesis of the movie is you find out that everyone has these stories that led them to this particular point in their life. It's kind of like that internet word sonder that is just, yeah, it's, it's describing like um, everyone's got their own internal life. Like you'll just pass them on the street, but you'll never know that all this other right. stuff has gone on in their life. That's led them up to this point. Well, one of the things I actually really, I loved about the movie was the 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 four the four part prologue where we sort of like meet everybody in the most like oh yes deadpan non sentimental non Hollywood bullshit way like it was very like here it is it's oblique yeah very much so yeah and that French scene had some of the best zooms that of course I loved that like ultra bougie lunch that he was at yes <laughs> which is wonderful when the suckling you finally. When you finally get to, uh, it was the Dominican Republic in real life, but on on film, it's uh, Colombia, I believe. Okay, that was Nicaragua. Those, uh, same. Those, those close-ups of the, you know, like an an exquisitely prepared steak, and then oh, here's, you know, dead chickens or whatever. It's yeah, it's someone incredible... like plucking a chicken. Someone passed out in the mud. Yeah, uh, it's. Great. I did find it a little strange and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, that he's this, mm-hmm. like, ultra bougie guy, wealthy guy, who suddenly, like, can fit in with, like, the salt of the earth and can, like, drive a truck. I, you know, Darren, this was back when men were men. I mean, but he's his, French. His skill, is, his skill is being <laughs> French. I suppose, yeah. and, and tell, tell me what a Frenchman can't do, and I'll, I'll be sitting right. here for not very long. But, oh, come on. I love the French. <laughs> I do love France. Sorry, all French people. That was not a dig. That was just a joke. Don't. We take... don't have any listeners in France. It's okay. Good. Um, yeah, well, they're not going to sully their ears with an American podcast. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. That does remind me. I did love how, like, for the first, uh, you know, 15 or so minutes, there's, like, no English. You could, yeah. you could yes. think that, it, that it's a foreign film. I don't. It... Yeah, which was another thing that, um, that, was blamed for turning off audiences because 
When this movie was in theaters, some of the exhibitors had to put up signs saying, yes, this movie starts off being in Mm -hmm. foreign languages. It's not entirely in foreign languages. Like, just wait out the first part right yeah hear english like please don't hey, just walk out thinking you've been seeing a subtitled like art film yeah you didn't <laughs> complain when we did this in exorcist just bear with us for five fucking minutes i will say this tarantino does the same thing in inglorious bastards mm-hmm. where the first like 25 minutes is is what in, in french and german mm-hmm. however in that movie it felt completely artificial um in this movie tarantino, it feels you very- don't say in this movie, it feels very like um, organic, ho- yeah. organic, yeah. holistic, yeah. yeah. Holistic is the word I was going for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's that's a much um, better word. It's a cosmopolitan film, and it's interesting that um, and Friedkin wasn't just going to do like a straight remake of Wages of Fear, um, even though you can't, you kind of can't separate this film. For Moages of Fear, I realize now, like, having uh, revisited both back-to-back. Not just because Wages of Fear is such a towering achievement, but also Sorcerer can, I, I think, hold its head up high right next to Wages of Fear. Even though, uh, at the time, reviewers and audiences didn't agree. It must have seemed incredibly audacious to the point of idiocy to try to to remake a Clouseau film. Like a shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or some, some similar well, folly. Well, mm. I think I think they remade uh, Diabolique in the 90s, didn't they? They did, yes. Yeah, and the original Di- Diabolique is incredible. Another Clouseau film. If I'm not mistaken... <laughs> the Mystery Science Theater? No, it's Danger Diabolic. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, though, Friedkin went to Clouseau to get his yes. blessing, right? Yeah, and um, I believe his words were, "Hey, I promise not to do it better than you did." Ha ha ha. <laughs> well, and uh, one of one of uh, Friedkin's associates who was with him at one of the initial screenings for, um, I think it was Universal Executives, but I'm not sure. Um, Friedkin asked him, like, "Hey, what did I say when I talked to Cluzo that one time?" And then uh, his friend is like, "Well, you." you said you wouldn't do it better than he did. And Friedkin was like, I was right. Because I think the mood in Oof. the screening room at that time was like quite dark. Mm. Well, it's a very so, dark I mean, movie. I do love how it leaves. It gives you, like, I feel like I know who these guys are. I don't need more backstory or, or bullshit exposition. You get mm-hmm. what you need to get from them. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. There is a level of sort of like, uh, uh, is, it a, is it opaqueness? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like you just you never really get to know who these guys are, but in a way, like I don't want to know their. Like, it, well, it isn't death- spoon fed to you. Like, exactly, you, you have to figure yeah. it out for yourself because yeah, it's the same thing that I I think it is bold freaking to do that where you know the first fifteen minutes of the movie don't even have any English in them because you have to piece together what is going on. Like you have to figure out not just the you know situation that each of these people have been involved in. But then you also need to figure out like what this is leading to. You need to fig- try and figure out what their background is, why they're doing these things, and how they're going to end up all together. You know, when that when the plot proper starts moving. Well, and that's what I love too is like 
having just the movie I watched before this one, not immediately, but the last movie I'd seen before this one was 1991's Class Action, starring Gene Hackman as a curmudgeonly womanizing defense, uh, civil defense lawyer who has to go up against his uh, daughter, who's a, a, a corporate lawyer and, and a court case. And there is so much spoon fed exposition and you can right. feel studio, you can feel studio notes dripping from every minute of that movie. And what I love about this is there is no, there is no studio note right. whatsoever. This, this is a like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And not only that, you're going to suck my dick while I do it. You know, that's the freaking way. <laughs> yeah. And I think Friedkin ended up basically paying big time for yeah. doing so. I don't know if you remember, uh, Darren, the story from Easy Riders Raging Bull, Bulls when the executives did come to him with notes. And they said, like, OK, we'll meet you for lunch. And, you know, you and some other guys who worked on the picture, I think... Um, I think the writer of the film and someone uh. else. Um, and Friedkin told his associates, you know, come just come dress like shit, you know, like trousers with paint splattered on them, like, you know, shirt untucked, etc. And they were meeting in like the, you know, the studio commissary, which is like or the studio dining room, which is like pretty classy. Suckling pig. Mm. Right. Uh, and perfectly um, cooked steak. And he told he told them, you know, when they start giving you notes and it was like Barry Diller and some other assholes like mm. that. He was like, don't even look at them in the eye. Just kind of like stare past their ear and just be completely disinterested in what they have to say when they start telling us like what we need to do differently. And for Freakin's part, even though like maybe because he was not really a drinker, he gets to the table with the executives and they come to take his order and he's like, yeah, a bottle of vodka. And they were like, would you like a glass? And he's like, no, nah, just the bottle. Ain't got and time for starts, that. Yeah. And then he just starts swigging. And partway through the meeting, he just falls out of his chair and onto the floor and just lies face down. And I love it. They were like, well, uh, I guess this meeting's right. over. Yeah. Listen, how was he to know <laughs> that the, the twilight of the outdoors was upon him? You know, maybe that's and what that, he's drinking. You know, like between him and Chimino and Coppola and, 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 you know, obviously Star Wars coming in to just completely mm -hmm. change everything that, how was he to know that he was a dinosaur at that point or that his, his that style of filmmaking was dinosaured? I yeah, am, and, go ahead. No, please, Tim. Thank you. You're God. funnier than I am. Well, <laughs> and I have better insights because I'm glad that wow. Darren mentioned uh, Lucas because Sorcerer is what um, Andor would love to be. Ha. And I know that, you know, Star Wars is very, you know, shallow fan service-y and you kind of just, um, you know, get spoon-fed your gruel. But, I mean, I do like Andor as a series that has more going on rather than just, like, fan service and, like, this sort of um, dog chasing its tail of uh, Jedi lore. But because that has a lot of characters and it goes a lot of different places and there's sort of this, like, conspiracy that you have to do a tiny bit of work uh, to to parse out because it is sort of like baby's first um you know like film literacy like they're they're trying to get the audience like just just to have the barest minimum of understanding that sometimes in a scene people can be talking about one thing but they really mean something else so I well you know what if, if Star Wars is the really the catalyst to get rid of that kind of filmmaking maybe 
and or we'll bring it back. I don't yeah. know. They don't trade nice, audiences. Yeah. I think it's uh, the kind of thing where it's like, look, if you if you fucking fans won't watch something else, like maybe we'll give you like an actual Yeah, we'll we'll put a pill. If not adult yeah. Star Wars series, like a something that's more for teenagers instead of little babies. Yeah, we'll put it's your hardcore medicine inside a marshmallow. We'll, we'll yeah. know we're finally back to where we should be as a culture when the next Star Wars show involves the Sith going to a castle on a remote planet, kidnapping the most attractive alien youths from the galaxy, and getting a, a number of uh, grotesque <laughs> prostitutes to tell sexy <laughs> stories to turn to turn them on, so that so that Darth Sa- Darth Sallow could uh, you know get get his uh, saber off and use the. <laughs> Yeah, you and know, then they make put, um they make one of those uh, Twi'lek slave girls like eat shit. Oh, yeah. Get those midi chlorians to shoot all over the castle. It's gonna be weird <laughs> though. That is lightsaber. You know, it, it has like a slight curve to it. You're like, oh, I yeah, he's very <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, how? I think Freakin would be like, fuck you for talking about Star Wars because isn't Star Wars another one of the scapegoats they used for why this movie didn't succeed? Right, seventy seven. Because- it dropped, this movie dropped, um, I think, maybe a month or two after Star Wars, which was a massive sensation as soon as it hit theaters. And they pulled Star Wars from some of the major theaters so they could put Sorcerer in there. And Sorcerer played for a little while. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to take out Sorcerer and we're going to put Star Wars back. Because everyone wants to see Star Wars. Wars. No one wants to see Sorcerer. They even call, doesn't one of the Empire people call Darth Vader your sorceress ways, Lord Vader? There's even more sorcery in Star Wars than Sorcerer. (laughs) When I when I had to look on Just Watch to see where this was streaming, which Mm -hmm. was nowhere. Right. Yep. (laughs) I typed in Sorcerer and it doesn't even come up. I, like the, the sorcerers, the sword and the sorcerer comes up. I mm-hmm. had to go through William Friedkin as a search to find out that it wasn't there. It's There's bad something... enough that Disney's cutting scenes out of uh, French Connection, but yeah, you can't even find sorcerer anywhere. Yeah, Wait. and I think for whatever reason, it's it's hard to find Friedkin on streaming. I know that, uh, unfortunately, To Live and Die in L.A. isn't fucking streaming anywhere. Uh, when they played it on... TCM a while back, I went to the TCM app so I could watch it and it's and just got a black a black screen saying, Oh, this film isn't available on streaming. And right, this one isn't just popular about, enough. Yeah, I, I just about rage shit my pants. Mm-hmm. It was on Criterion not so long ago. I mean I oh sorry, yeah. cruise yeah, yeah. Cruising pops up, I feel like probably cruising and exorcist pop up more than I mean, I'm sure you could find like Bug or Killer Joe somewhere. Oh, those exorcist. are actually easy to find. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are those I, are on like Tubi. It could be well, that he got yeah. he was able to get better distribution deals with later films. The in the case of Sorcerer, because it was this kind of joint Universal and Paramount project, I think what ended up happening was that Friedkin had to sue them both. Yeah, to actually free the film so he could have he could have screenings of it where he would appear in person. Um, yeah. Before this movie made it to Blu-ray, uh, you would hear, you know, if you if you Google, you'll see like accounts from very excited cineasts saying like, ooh, today I got to go to a very rare screening of Sorcerer in 35 with William Friedkin in person. Um, he really did want the film to be seen, but 
he had to use legal muscle to do it. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen it on the big screen. I'm sad I just missed yes. it because they did do a retrospective shortly after he died, I think, at the Cinematheque. But, like, it's it's the kind of movie, because it's so atmospheric and so, I hate to use the word immersive because it's such a buzzword, but it does really, with all the texture, do that. I think to have seen it really big, say, at the Dome or something, yeah. would have. Because I did find my, I loved, I loved that prologue. I could have watched, you know, an hour of each of those. Oh, yeah. And, and expanded on, and, and I just loved how it unfurled, and it didn't spoon feed, and it just kind of like presented it to you, and they were, they were so vastly different, and felt so like realized with giving you, you know, telling the story visually. I thought that was great. But then like, I did lose, I, I got a little bored until they got on the road, the sort of, when, after the prologue. Yeah, my, um, my recollection of this wasn't... Um strictly the cinematography in it but yeah watching it again i'm uh, i'm blown away by some of the some of the shots in it in particular after you know the inciting incident of the um uh quote-unquote disaster the sabotage at the oil field in nicaragua or wherever it, this takes place um there is you know some of the 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 money men like the middle managers um for the oil field are taking a helicopter to find it and so we get um, just this like lush, you know, wall-to-wall scenery of um, you know this aerial shot of a jungle, and we're flying through you know the canyons of, of this um, this verdant jungle to then reveal this fireball just like geysering into the air. You've got this these like you know lush greens and these searing reds, and I'm just like, like what is like freaking just just like showboating or whoever cinematographer was at this point, where it's like, you didn't need to put that shot in here. I'm yeah, glad it's brought, amazing. And the the interesting thing is, is that there were actually two cinematographers credited on this. Um, Friedkin had to get the second guy because the first guy uh, underlit the jungle when they were shooting there. Those scenes were too dark. Well, um, it's, it's interesting because like... It, if I, from what I read, the the original cinematographer was the cinematographer on Ken Russell's Tommy, and I yes. think he, he shot all the prologues. Which I was like, yeah, of course, those zooms, the colors, uh, was incredible. I mean, the cinema. It's interesting because I think the transition from cinema, like, I, was pretty seamless to me. It looked like the same hand. Yeah, um, it doesn't really look like they're there too. But I was, I, I was sitting there watching. I'm like, God. Why the fuck did people move away from film? I know because it's yes. cheaper to do video. Yes. But like, it's it's so, it's both like more texture to use the, the T mm-hmm. word that I've been using too much of, but also it's both more artificial, but more real at the same time. And it doesn't have that like candy sterility that I yes. find most movies nowadays kind of have. It's well, analog. I... It has a warmer picture. It's rich. <laughs> it's just so rich and deep. Yeah, and I found myself having a similar reaction and you know this is what i hate to say because it sounds like such a cliche and makes me sound like a boring old fart but yeah i was like man like why don't movies look like this anymore because this looks amazing no and i think it's some of that down to set design as well because i mean we have some immense squalor in this that's just really impressive well you know what production design by john box so it's not just that though because like the stock itself is different. Even if you look at like modern, the, the few films that still are shot on on film, like you know the Nolans and the and the Paul Thomas Andersons, the stock is different. And the the way the stock is made now 
is to more uh, to, to look more like video. Um, and you don't have that kind of seventies wagging 80. the dog. Yeah, it's like it's like exactly, and it's like you, they don't even have that same stock anymore that renders it in a very like it's like almost painterly is the way I would say like it has a it's so distinctly film that even now like when I you know I didn't see Oppenheimer but I've seen the trailer and it that could have been well, shot on so it's video. Uh, I think that you're talking about it is um more a matter of clarity over style like video is able to perfectly render and capture whatever you're shooting but it doesn't have that sort of I don't know analog imperfection to it that I think is what you're really gravitating yeah towards. there's something in especially in the way the skin tone that mm -hmm. doesn't look like doesn't look like skin tone you would see in life, but it looks like that's what I want to see. It's what I want to see yeah. on a giant screen. I, I mean, I think the the tough thing is, you know, it's what it's a matter of what do you have to work with and how much are you willing to uh, adulterate that image to get a particular style. And I think that color timing is pretty much the extent of it. Yeah. Well, so. I think also it has a lot to do with the fact that um, if you're an artist, ideally it. A certain point you realize that photorealism can only take you so far mm -hmm. that it actually becomes enervating after a while and yeah, well yeah i think the um uh, culmination of that is the high frame rate movies that everyone's like oh it's i'm watching telemundo now i'm soap opera vision it's like yes it looks very real but it's like that's not what i'm going to the movies for i want something that is a little stylized or abstracted exactly i mean that's like give me a little art Right. I know, I know, cinema these days, but you know, in the seventies, <laughs> that was kind of like a last gasp. Uh, also, and now we're talking like old masters versus modern art at this point. Also, you know what else they had in the seventies? No fucking CGI. They had Quaaludes no. too. Well, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but yeah, and, and to pull off these stunts, like uh, it's funny because I was like, once they started to get on the road, I was like, definitely back with the movie, and I never thought I'd be so into bridge bridge crossing yeah oh my god <laughs> and, those bridge sequences are fucking wild and to match wages of fear to match clouseau in that aspect it's like you have to hand it to to freakin and his crew because they are as fucking good as the scenes of like eve montan trying to just back up a truck over a like a rotting wooden structure like it is as gripping and yeah. i don't know freaking and vehicles just go really well together for whatever mm. reason mm. yeah i mean though like the those rickety i mean it looked painful i felt like i i needed to go to the hospital after after watching it like i just i just felt like i was in pain it feels like the kind of thing that if i heard that it took like 80 people died it's like like, like it was like roar you know it like took 10 years and like 15 <laughs> people died with each sequence like the blowing up the tree the suspension bridge the like that like yeah narrow it's sort of like passageway. it's sort of apocalypse now ish without all the irresponsibility yeah or kept it on the road I also got like a bit of like a mad mat, like some of the vehicle, like the, I think it was the, was it the Lazaro or the Sorcerer, which uh, I can't remember, the one with the big grill, which almost looked like a comical truck. Cause I, I have to come clean. I didn't realize for a good hour and a half that there were two trucks. And I was like, why are they changing all the time? 
<laughs> I thought they were just sitting in the back. I was like, what the fuck? It was, it was when they, they were like, gently, two of them had to sit in the back and gently cradle the the, <laughs> the, yeah. the dynamite. It was right? like uh, riding with death. Exactly. So like, I, I, mean, I don't know, maybe maybe I like took my eye off of it for like one second at a pivotal point where it was two cars or I, I didn't pay, I, my, my, my mind wandered or something. But when well, I was like, point, oh, okay. Uh, you never the see them together. I, that's why you're thrown. <laughs> you know? Well, there was a point where they said that they... Um, they had to hire backup drivers, and that was in the segment where you said you your attention was kind of flagging. So I think, that, I think that's what it was. Yeah, I I will say that Wages of Fear has a slight edge on this movie to me, just because um, there's some exquisite character studies in uh, in Wages of Fear. Um, well. Both of these movies are very interested in death, among many other things. Um, in Wages of Fear, you get a real contemplation of cowardice um, in the figure of the, um, and I'm blanking on the actor's name, but uh, the the in Wages of Fear, he's a gangster. In Sorcerer, it's the the hitman. Uh, Played by the by a guy that Friedkin initially wanted for French Connection and and couldn't get. Was it Nilo? Was his name yes. Nilo? Or? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's too bad because he was good. Um, it's Joe in the in the in Wages of Fear, um, and a guy who comes across as like a real alpha male until they actually get on the road and are confronted with some of the absolutely incredible uh, obstacles that they have to get past to get this load of nitroglycerin through to the, the oil well. And you start to see, you see that man start to crack and how he's like diminished as he realizes that his, his nerve is failing and that his fellow drivers are berating him, particularly uh, Yves Montand's character, Mario. Um, there's much less of that in, Friedkin's film, which was, I, you know, I, I did kind of miss it a lot. Um, you do sort of wonder at the start of Wages of Fear, like, oh, you know, how long are we going to be stuck in this Mexican back, backwater town with these guys? Like, Ain't you know, that when the do we truth, get, huh? When do we get to the fucking trucks and shit, man? You know, well, that, but... that's a, yeah, that's a empathy where you're like, God, this town sucks. I want to get out of here. Yeah. And, you know, both Friedkin and Clouseau excelled in just showing the desperate circumstances of yeah, these men. Yeah, just not even have, you know, just empty pockets. You got, you know, drinking money and that's about it. Or yeah, like, and Clouseau... Like get a favor from someone. And... Clouseau managed to do it without uh, going into the backstory of the main characters at all. Um, which, you know, that's another kind of mastery in and of itself. But, you know, uh, with... Freaking, you're really along for the ride on these like four um, introductory stories. So hey, you know both both are perfectly valid. But um, you heard it I here do first. Like the, I do like the character studies in Wages of Fear, but Sorcerer is so radical in its its film language and its editing that it almost doesn't matter. Like the the editing really hit me in this movie. Mm. It feels so, it does not feel like it is from 1977. It's like, it's that Well, exciting. it's funny you say that, because I, in a way, actually do feel like it's very of the 70s, but in the good way. Like, I actually got a little bit of, like, a 
a Nicholas Rogue type strategy going on, especially Ooh, yeah. in, the, in, in the beginning section with the way the zooms and the cutting and the sort of like, and then even later with some of the more dreamlike stuff, um, there was a, I, I do think there was actually a kind of radical cutting going on in the seventies um, that you just don't actually see as much anymore. I mean, it got replaced eventually by like, you know, MTV style quick cuts, but like, well, yeah, yeah. narrative, you're well, just sort of dropped in it. Um, and uh, narratively, you're just dropped in it and you don't, get a chance to understand what's going on you're just there as an observer you're just there in the scene watching these things happen with as much understanding as anyone would at the time so in that way it's, it's very immediate the way that these things are, are staged and shot i want to say yeah there was... the way that um the way that the movie that sorcerer like throws the information at you and doesn't it doesn't wait around for you to yeah, you're there up. experiencing a sequence of events, and like it, it isn't going to hold your hand for it. I mean, I watched the whole movie, then I went back and watched the four or three of the four vignettes that lead you into each of these things because I'm watching it where I'm like, I don't know who these people are, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, I don't yeah. know what. <laughs> yeah, how does this all fit into it? But now that I know who the characters are, I go back and I see I'm like, okay, this is what they were trying to do. This is what their goal was. This is how they're going to get away with it, um, mm-hmm. and this is how they ultimately don't. Which is all backstory to get them to the place where the story, you know, the story proper uh, sets off. Well, like like a like a good movie made for adults, uh, <laughs> it, it, invite, it invites you, a, it rewards you with a second screening. Yeah. Um, yes. It, it has more layers to it. Um, there was a cut when the second truck crosses the suspension bridge, and it finally it's like grueling, and he's like getting crushed by the the mm-hmm. thickets and the, and the sticks and it finally gets there and it like almost like crashes and then it cuts almost to make like a really hard cut to uh, Roy Scheider with Nilo um, in the more like verdant jungle. And it's, I think to give you the impression that they might've died back on the bridge, but it was a, I, that cut really stood out to me. I like gasped. Yeah, because yes. we're in like this uh, overcast torrential rain and there's a lot of action and a lot of straining. And then it cuts to pretty much a bright sunny day of, you know, Roy Scheider just kind of turning the corner in the truck where it's just like, okay, well, we're through that. We're on to our next uh, uh, trial, uh, our next difficulty to overcome. Yeah, and then the way that that tree just shows up. <laughs> it's not like you see it coming. You're you're put in the same position as as the characters where next, it's like, oh, fuck, now I'm being crushed by a tree. Yeah, it's it a completely different problem that all of them deal with where, yeah, it isn't, um, you know, we're, we're straining and uh, we're trying to get the truck off the bridge before the bridge collapses or we're swept off or we're crushed by this tree. It's being like, okay, well, you got a puzzle that you have all the time in the world to solve, but you can't just like, you can't push your way past it. I mean, there's Roy yeah. Scheider attacking it with a machete. And it's like, that's not going to work, dude. You got you to gotta think around this one. Now, Which, as a DM... <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I have been biting my tongue this entire episode because if someone ran this as a traveler campaign, I would st- I would talk about it for the rest of my life. This is such an incredible sequence of events. Well, Tim, I know yeah. you're going to want to get into that. Yeah. But don't you think that uh, you should hydrate first? You know what I would like to get into is I would like to get into not just a boring glass of water. I want one that has vitamins and electrolytes that has more hydration p- 
power so that I can bore the two of you with stories about a game that you were not interested in playing. <laughs> Say, I may not have been interested in playing that game, but this new drink you're talking about sure has piqued my interest. I find myself very thirsty and water's just not cutting it. Yeah, and the thing about water is not only is it boring, it's not as fast as liquid IV, which hydrates you two times faster than water alone. They didn't want us to say this because they don't like to toot their own horn, but they are the number one powdered hydration brand in America. That's exactly right. Their hydration multiplier is off the charts. The chart only goes to two, and it is off that chart. Three times the electrolytes. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Three times the electrolytes and 12 times the flavors. Did you say three times the electrolytes and 12 times the flavors? Yes. Yes, in fact. 36 total. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how the math works. You got sea berry, you got strawberry lemonade, you got Concord grape, lemon lime, pina colada, tropical punch, watermelon, strawberry, passion fruit, guava, acai, berry, and more. Do you know that just today I was drinking a glass of water and I thought, Gee, I wish this tasted like sea bear. I think that all the time. That is a relatable universal human experience. I, for one, am sick of the taste of water. I've, yeah. (laughs) Hey, who isn't? Water is for losers. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Just, I'm just, I'm not some pond scum, you know, just drinking something with the flavor of water. The worst flavor ever. I gag. Yeah, and they expect you to drink six to eight glasses of this shit a day. Yeah, I'm does not wa- doing that. Does water have five essential vitamins like B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C? Water has jack shit, but you know what does have all of those vitamins? Liquid IV. Wow. That's yeah. right. One stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It's made with quality ingredients, and it's also non-GMO and free from gluten dairy, and soy, so you don't have to drink that chunky-ass water anymore. Right, yeah, sometimes, yeah, I used to drink water out of a cow's udder, and I hated it. <laughs> I wanted something without dairy. Yeah, you were like, this isn't sea berry flavor. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, and then so, I, I kicked that cow back out into the field. Chicken into town it to get seems slaughtered. as though I don't even have to have, like, a pork put in to have this put into my body, like a, like a real liquid IV. That is one of the advantages of this. You can use your existing holes to consume liquid IV. And it's powder for your convenience, so you can add liquid at your pleasure. Yeah, a lot or a little. Once you add the powder to the water, you can boof that shit if you want. We're not going to judge. I wouldn't, yeah. And you know, this. we also like to be conscious about the the less fortunate than us. Like um, people such as... um, uh, Juan Dominguez, who looks a lot like Roy Scheider, living in Nicaragua. I mean, I don't even know if he has access to clean water, let alone acai berry. Or That um, water is not clean. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in over 50 countries around the world. So just think how much easier they would have had it in the movie Sorcerer if they had had liquid IV to drink. Yeah. So much easier. Yeah. Like, imagine if they'd sprinkled a little liquid IV in that river. Yeah. They still would have had a tough time getting that truck across the bridge, but at least it would have tasted good. I like to imagine an alternate universe uh, sorcerer where they aren't trying to deliver dynamite uh, to stop the 
fireball destroying the oil field, but instead what they're doing, it's a humanitarian mission to deliver liquid IV to all the poor Nicaraguans who just had to drink well water. And they show up and they're like, we have 12 new flavors. Think of what an uplifting William Friedkin movie that would have been. Yeah, like you see Roy Scheider barely able to walk, shambling, carrying a single crate, stumbling his way to the oil Mm -hmm. field. Yeah. And when he gets there, saying, it's pina colada flavored. Oh, man. See? And then just freeze frame on that. And you go, William Friedkin makes feel-good movies. (laughs) I think Friedkin (laughs) would have directed that. (laughs) And we feel good drinking liquid IV, and so will you. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code H. Y-S-T-P-O-D, HISTPOD, That's us. at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code HISTPOD, H-Y-S-T-P-O-D. Say it with me, H-Y-S-T-P-O-D, Jeez. at liquidiv.com. You know, shilling this uh, this water supplement has really made me thirsty. <laughs> wow, if only, if only Pendulette would listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> if Pendulette drank this, he would immediately swell back up into the Pendulette we recognize from bullshit. Yes, and Penn and Teller get killed. Mm-hmm. If it was in this in in Sorcerer, I think there would be much less dysentery, and I think dysentery is a, is a, an important ingredient. Not that they show it, mm-hmm. but I could tell there was a lot of dysentery. Well, Friedman right. did get yeah. malaria from this shoot. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no, not good. Oh, that poor malaria. To have to be stuck. With Imagine the mosquito yeah, yeah. that had to like in that body. The mosquito yeah. that Suck had to that hold its <laughs> proboscis and bite William Friedkin. Oh yeah, I don't know. Just ask, just ask Sherry Lansing. But um, boom. Well, where were we in Sorcerer? Uh, it was the part oh, where they got uh, all the uh, water supplements. I think we were at the part where Tim, you were about to start talking about Traveler. All right, so. Uh, part of character creation uh, is you have this life path beforehand. Uh, and that is what I love so much about Sorcerer is that, you know, when you make your character in Traveler, you have all the uh, previous life events that led you up to this point. And each of these is a little slice of life of saying, you know, oh, hey, Traveler character, how did you get Demolition 2? Well, as it turns out, I bombed a synagogue back in my third term. Like, oh, Okay. Um, what about, uh, hey, hey, French guy, how are you able to uh, convince the foreman uh, to double the amount of money that we're paying? Well, it turns out that I have a high social because I have a background as a uh, citizen of the Imperium. Roy Scheider, how did you get Drive 3? Well, it's a funny story. I was the getaway when I was robbing uh, from the mob's uh, parish in, uh, in New Jersey, and um, things, things went wrong. I, I you know... Rolled a seven when I need an eight, and now I ended up here. Um, it's uh, it, it is it's just a, a fun. Uh, it, it is what I love about Traveler, and I should probably send this to my players to be like, see, here's the game that I've been trying to run this entire time um, that you guys just aren't on board with. You Cowards. fucking morons! Yes. You idiots! Yes, exactly. This is I can tell you why. Why you're not? You need to be more like Billy Freakin. First of all. Mm-hmm. You need more of that sort of seventies hair, and you need a big pair of glasses. Two, okay. you need a you need to just tell them fuck you. Show up with a bottle of vodka, fall out of the chair, 
you need to it's your responsibility to lead them you got to be the freaking here. yeah pro and, DMing you know tips, what i'm saying yeah. and third of all you're, you need to treat women like shit oh wait you're already on that i do thank you yeah what, yeah. what, are you <laughs> what was i thinking about you dumb bitch um, you just need to you just need to ask underage girls that you're thinking about casting in your horror opus about masturbation. <laughs> I it hope you're ready research. for the glaring light of publicity all over the world. Hey. That's another just just in case anybody wants to cancel me. That's from Easy Riders Raging Bulls. That happened. Freaking asked um Linda Blair mm-hmm. a question about that. Yeah. Oh right. And she's like, He's- don't you? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. which is just like, great. that's such a ballsy answer. It's great. And it's like, yeah, well, I think we found and our lead. She, she she is so good at, this is a real side note, in Savage Streets, when she's in that like full leather outfit with the crossbow, and she's like, you want to get a taste of this cunt? It's so good. It, the delivery is <laughs> excellent. Oh, queen. Anyhow. That, that cunt is so good, yeah. <laughs> Even with a crucifix shoved in it. Right. <laughs> For the love, for the love of God, please help this girl. Um, but Tim, what were you yeah, saying so, about? Uh... Well, these are all um, uh, just like these little peeks into all all the um, uh, what's the, the the pathos of these lives that have gone off the rails. Um, and you know, like I was saying about you know the uh, you know frog one's ro- wife describing the story, where it's saying you know no one's just somebody. Like everyone came from somewhere, and they're all this—they're all threads in this tapest, tapestry of this narrative that I think Darren is picking up on. Where it isn't just saying like, you know, I'm the main character, and I've lived a perfect life that has made me um, ideally suited to being the one to solve this problem. It's saying I'm just a guy. I kind of fucked up earlier in my life, and it led me to a difficult position where you know I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place, and I've got to work my ass off not only to get myself out of the situation, but only to just survive it. That was the thing that I was telling my players. Like, sometimes surviving is winning. You know, you don't need to, like, well, assume that you're going to make a big impact in the world. Sometimes it is just getting by. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also think, like, part that's part of the... You hit on, like, the movie's, you know, point is, like, this could happen... To, fate, fate could take you anywhere. You, you could you could end up in yeah, a these are people. shitty Dominican Republic village... You know, you, yeah. you could end up uh, trying to blow up a tree that's in your like anything can happen to anybody, to just a soldier, to just a book editor, to just a, uh, a bougie uh, Frenchman. Right. Yeah. yeah and the, the, the guy who had been doing intense... assassinations in Veracruz and hey, you got to lay low for a while. Yeah. And, and you... the, the intensely stylized feel of the film, kind of those neck breaking edits and those shocks to the audience, they really fit in with that theme of the brutality of fate quote unquote, like you Mm -hmm. might be arguing with the guys that you're driving away from a robbery and a truck pulls out in front of you or like your tire blows out right at an inopportune moment. And that's it. You've been complacent moving this nitroglycerin. Yeah, they didn't make their survival check. And I would also like to add to that traveler came out in 77, the same year as Sorcerer. Oh, it was faded. But yeah. no, like, that's funny, Tim, because I Get was off. thinking that <laughs> it really is like that roll of the dice in the game. Like, you could roll a 20 or you could roll a 1 or, you know, whatever makes with you that tra- <laughs> Yeah, With that Traveler Year of Origin uh, tidbit, mm-hmm. Tim, I was going to tell you you should get on 4chan with that conspiracy theory or 8chan oh, or 16chan yeah. whatever whatever chan we're up to. <laughs> I was also going to say So what, that, what's 16chan? Um, Do they have like 
porn of human fetuses, like extra child uh, pornography. Uh, I'm on 128 Chan. It is. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you're yeah, really? It's all encrypted. And, and, and not your <laughs> mother's dad. Yeah, some of the Chan. shit that's on there. <laughs> I mean, I think the ultimate kind of thing, going back to sorcerer, is like you could go do all these things, survive all these things, be the sole survivor, and then you know the people who are you're running away from end up finding you and yeah. Yeah, it's just like after the, all that. Yeah, this dive bar at the ass end of uh, South America. After after all that, yeah, even because you know it never really ends. It's you know it, it is you know, the never ending story of um, just moving from I don't know from crisis to crisis, from moment to moment. Like no life is ever done. We're all in medias res. We're all threads in a tapestry. People come and go, not always on their own terms. And these are all these just weird intersections that that create this emergent story, which is what I think what I find so compelling about Traveler and also other little things, too, like um, some of the uh, obstacles that they encounter uh, delivering the uh, the TNT to the job site. Um, There's the um, the tree in the road that they talked about. Um, there's crossing the bridge, that amazing set piece. Um, they're stopped by by brigands, by um, some of the rebels, and each one has a part to play. It's you know we're stopped by um, by four armed rebels. Um, it's just the the two guys. How are we gonna get out of this? It's like well, it says on my character sheet that I used to be an assassin and I happen to have a revolver on me. So like that guy has his part to play in it. Hey guy. Um, uh, other uh, backup driver on this. What did you do? Well, I used to be an expert at bombing things, and we have this giant tree in front of us, and we have this unstable explosive. Player characters, do I have to fucking spoon feed this to you? <laughs> <laughs> All I gotta say to that is real people, real flavor, real hydrating, traveler. <laughs> yes. Oh, right. Yeah, we're we're still in the ad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you need this to was... go to, to liquidiv.com. Yes, yeah, this is actually an ad for Traveler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is our longest read yet. Use code use code Traveler. Fooled you. Yeah, they, they don't have any money to advertise. Yeah, so yeah. so putting it all together, uh, and yeah, even the French guy, he's got a social score, which is how he's able to kind of um, manipulate some things. I can stop. T- I can't. I will <laughs> let you ask me to stop about talking about Traveler. Well, when you brought up that you that you you know, and just to to peel back the veil, when you mentioned that you you were going to bring this up, I, I, as soon as you said travel, I was like, oh yeah, absolutely see it. Yeah, the sort of like life experience, you know, the character generation from the one time that I played it with you. Yeah, uh, up into sort of like the the mundane aspects of trying to just do anything and how uh, you know. Yeah, it's messy and imperfect and and, and circuitous. Um... Yeah, you you never know where things are going to lead you, and sometimes it's just you know managing to like roll with the punches, and that's really what this movie is about. How do how do you when dealt a bad hand? How do you you know, um, make something out of that? There there are delightful little scenes of that sort of thing happening where it is um, you know Roy Scheider, uh, Juan Dominguez, you know in his uh, in his dive bar in uh, South America, and he just happens to come across frog one and the two of them sort of like are maybe trying to like form some kind of alliance making a partnership making a carouse check if you will uh in traveler terms and then you know the federales show up and they're like hey juan dominguez you awfully uh you sure as hell don't look like you're from south america and then 
there there's a nice moment of uh you know frog one just kind of like trying to extricate himself from the situation they're like hey are you his friend hey friend why don't you have a seat why don't you come back and sit down here just all these little nah. tense moments of like how are you gonna how are you gonna get out of this like little situation and these are just everyday things that happen to him it isn't one clear um uh linear narrative it is how am i gonna get out of this right now like it is living in the moment of trying to trying to just get by true i think you you just need to not tell your traveler people i just do do this just do wages of fear (laughs) and just do it just do it i Um, i don't know i've heard tim talk about these people a lot and i think he should just bring a gun to the next session (laughs) just Just one chambered round around right (laughs) (laughs) um uh there's another you know traveler starts with tea Mm mm-hmm and so does T- Tangerine Dream. And Ooh, we haven't talked yes. about them at, at, at all. That is another ah, thing yes. that, um, like the what we were saying <laughs> about movies shot on film, and oh man, they don't make them like that anymore. I want every film to be scored by Tangerine Dream. Oh like Hans God, Zimmer, absolutely. you can suck my fucking dick. It's got to be yeah, Tangerine that's, Dream. Yeah, that's old hat. Um, mm-hmm. Well, what's so good too, like in the beginning when there's actually like some, some non-Tangerine Dream music, it like suddenly the Tangerine Dream music will just cut in with like a five second cue and then cut out. And I actually wish there was more of that in the movie. Yeah. Mm. But uh, oh, those those synths are are hot. Oh, so yeah. good. Three, with three T's. Yeah, so uh, puts a good use in uh, what in uh, Risky Business. Also, um, Michael oh, Mann, yeah. the the yin to uh, to Friedkin's Yang, uh, used it in Thief. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that these I think that these soundtrack might be my favorite. Yeah, Dream Dream one of maybe just soundtrack the, of all time. The the tricky hey. thing is that yes, it is a great soundtrack. The um, it's it's sort of it's a little stolen valor though of the um, like the closing theme of Tangerine Dream that is saying. Give me the guitar solo of Comfortably Numb. <laughs> oh my God, kind of, yeah. Well, steal, they steal from the best, they always say. One thing I do want to bring up, and which will give, maybe give Tim another opportunity to plow into some traveler material. Maybe. Tim, can you extrapolate one of the themes of Sorcerer to Traveler that is... Uh, the relentless exploitation of people and extraction of resources. Um, because not only is that obviously a theme in the film, as it was in Wages of Fear, which has a pretty significant critique of capitalism and capital, but in Sorcerer, a movie made by Paramount, which at the time was owned by Gulf and Western, uh, under the auspices of uh, Charles Bludorn. Uh, and Gulf and Western at the time had... I'm sorry, Gulf it's plus amazing. Western? <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Sounds more loathsome than Apple TV Plus. Um, oh. At the time, Gulf and Western was massively diversified. Yeah, yeah. Had its fingers in a lot of pies. If you go to like the Wikipedia article and look at look up all the properties that Gulf and Western owned along with Paramount, which was extremely secondary to them. Um, they were into things like sugar and zinc and you know <laughs> resources. And Friedkin noticed that uh, the Dominican Republic, as he put it, was practically a wholly owned subsidiary of Gulf and Western <laughs> by extension, 
paramount. Yeah. And his kind of a little nod to that was um I think there's a there's a scene in the film where the uh I guess you'd say the project manager and another the guy squares. from the oil company are discussing uh the oil well fire and behind the one guy there's a picture on the wall of the oil company's board of directors those are actually um i believe i don't know if they're paramount or gulf western executives but reportedly when blue dorn recognized himself in the picture he just about shat a brick (laughs) yeah that's that's a good troll Um, and freakin says that he's not um if you watch the documentary freakin uncut there's a point where he says i'm not a political director and i believe him but you can't say that sorcerer doesn't also get political at times well there's all those shots of like the dictator's poster Mm -hmm. that sort of pop up and then like the eagle like that eagle logo with the flames i mean it's definitely yes making some some point yeah. I'm not sure what. But. Yeah, and it's also kind of dark that um the one the one um the driver who gets murdered before they even get on the road, that mm. character was an actual Nazi. So, you know, and that kind of ties in with all the Nazis who fled to South America yeah. and were sheltered. Hey, he was by... in he was in Argentina at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was in Colombia, apparently. And it's interesting because in in because in Wages of Fear, there is a character who has a, a tie to the to World War Two, but it's because his father was killed by the Nazis. Hmm. But in Friedkin's film, they just they're like, yeah, this guy's just like a straight up Nazi. I guess the uh, hitman had a problem with him, <laughs> or maybe he's just there to do a job. That's fine too. Um, oh, he was working a- for Mossad. Oh, okay. Uh, so, th- so this also exists in the uh, Munich expanded cinematic universe. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, Jen, I believe that you asked me a question 10 minutes ago about um, sort of the, the use of human capital in this because the movie does draw from people in different um, stations, different classes. It isn't all just um, you know one kind of person. It isn't like, say... Um, you have Reservoir Dogs where it's like, yeah, everyone is just a criminal for hire. It's criminals and cops and normal people, and that's it. Like, we have people who are, you know, on the wrong side of the law. We have, you know, natives. We have impoverished people. We have career criminals. We also have squares who work for the company. Um, and they are um, caught, you know, within their own um, limitations where, you know, they, they can't even uh, really, uh, like, ask for... Um, restitution because like oh the government's saying that it's that it's an accident it's like well we know that it was sabotage and they're like well the president isn't gonna say our freedom fighters who are fighting against u.s hegemony and their interests here are gonna i'm not gonna arrest our locals for something that you know mm-hmm. just, just to, to please a uh, an imperialist nation on another continent so there's that sort of real politic about you know what what is what are the um, forces larger than all the characters that they are then caught up in? And because, mm-hmm. you know, the the oil plant is, is, you know, burning, then, yeah, there's the foreman being like, well, we can either cut our losses and just stop, you know, stop running the oil plant, which is what my characters would do, 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. What, e- what easy way out. Yeah. <laughs> or we can um, see how much human capital we're willing to expend in order to get things back on the road and get you know, get the, the oil well pumping again. And, you know, the matter already, how many other like locals, you know, they show that in, in gruesome fetishistic detail, like Darren was pointed out, we see, you know, burned and bleeding, you know, bodies of, of workers coming back on a truck from, uh, you know, from the job site. And it's like, hey, you know, what's four more low life scum, you know, to, to the, you know, United Oil uh, just to get mm-hmm. this factory working again. And it's like, eh, you know, we can maybe give them 20 grand. I think that's a fair amount. And that's totally what I'd offer my player characters. And they'd be like, fuck that. That's not enough. Yeah, the 20 grand and then try and stiff him by giving him a check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that that actually makes a lot of sense too, especially with just like the posters in, the, in that the dictator is just some faceless guy in a poster who's just like above... Yeah, doesn't even come into the whole situation. He's just some yeah. He he's graphic for a poster, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he's shaping events beyond anything that you can have any sort of influence on. Like the characters, the protagonists are the ones who are reacting to a world that is defining, is prescribing what actions they are and aren't allowed to take. So it is working within that difficult framework of being like, okay, just how do I get oh. by with you know all these forces beyond me? Yeah, and that. Whether really, it is a dictator or a mob boss or what, what have you. Yeah, and that really sums up a lot of the bleakness of 70s films. And a lot of what made the new Hollywood so great is these stories of people whose lives are being deformed by forces they absolutely cannot control. And kind yeah, of definitely. the, and, you know, a main <laughs> theme of Sorcerer being like the complete capriciousness of fate it's very brutal but very truthful it's a roll of the dice Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and see if like uh one of you can make a carouse check earlier and you can get people to uh help you with uh fixing the trucks and so then you can actually participate in this adventure or if you wanted to make like a uh uh a streetwise check (laughs) i'll give you a a bonus die on making the mechanic check on fixing the truck and then uh the all the characters can go along and you can uh, split the uh the money that way tim yes (laughs) i have an i have an idea for you what you need to do is you need to arrange with this group yeah. a traveler getaway. Mm. And you you all go to the Dominican Republic. <laughs> Ooh. Right? Yes. Get your shots and you, first. You though. essentially you do a site-specific theater piece. Uh-huh. A traveling theater Ooh. piece, if you will. A traveler LARP. You set everybody up in two different trucks. Mm-hmm. You're just a face on a poster mm-hmm. guiding things from afar. <laughs> And you kind of just kind of guide them along in this massive, it's going to take a lot of money. It's going to take yeah, a lot yeah. of planning. But they'll never forget it. Yeah, and, and believe me. The ones me, that survive. Yeah, <laughs> to, to, live the, to live every GM's dream of finally killing your players. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how do you really feel? Uh, <sighs> I don't know. Uh, driving the, tracks, the yeah. stories that I've heard about these guys, like I want to kill them. Like, you know, take the do they listen? Him. Do they listen to this podcast? No one listens to this podcast. You know As that. Oh, <laughs> frankly, it's it's Come it's on. beyond their poor intellect. But um, you know, we've been yeah. chatting a while about sorcerer, and I think we've uh, said quite a bit about it that is good and tasty. But um, one thing I did want to mention before we go is one thing which does break my heart about this movie 
is that for the four lead roles, um, mm. Friedkin only got one of his first choices. That was Amadou as the uh, the Palestinian terrorist. Um, he really wanted Steve McQueen for Scheider's role. In fact, the script was written with him in mind. And the way it worked out was McQueen was enthusiastic, but he had recently uh, left his first wife for Allie McGraw. And I guess they were all in love and shit. And he said, hey, like, uh, can I bring Allie with me? Can you maybe you could write her role or she could associate produce? And Friedkin later said that he regretted saying no to both because McQueen then turned him down. And as Friedkin put it, he said that one close up on McQueen is worth all the gorgeous vistas that you can think of. Yeah, and that's really just a gimme. It's just like, you know, give my wife, like, put her up in a hotel and, like, give her some bullshit job so that she feels like she's helping. Yeah, just, you know, like, it's let's, not hard. Let's, it's an easy concession. Uh, yeah, let's. Or a humor McQueen. He could. He could have proved his his misogynist cred, Friedkin, by like really making like putting her in horrible like makeup and maggots and making her be one of the locals in the background. Yeah, yeah. like have her be the one who gives the crucifix to uh, to the French guy. Or 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 during the like Roy Scheider's like hallucination when he's suddenly in, in like where is it New Mexico or something? Yes. Um, yeah, those like sandstone have, like, canyon. Ha- yeah. He could have hallucinated like. You know, I don't know. Talking about prostitutes with with the with the assassin, he could have hallucinated. You know, a threesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's so many ways. Freaking was being a schmuck because <laughs> that would have added some uh, some real spice, a to that scene. But also, I mean, Shatter though, like Jaws was what 1975. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that one of the biggest movies? I mean, that's one of the biggest movies of all time. So like, well, in fact, well, that's something to sh- that was why the studio the studios were willing to gamble on Scheider because you know they were like oh you know he's uh he's you know he just came off of Jaws like maybe we can put this movie across because they were kind of lukewarm on um yeah on Friedkin's other picks that weren't fucking Steve McQueen because they were foreign actors Mm. I mean I will say Scheider and Steve McQueen are just not, are, are obviously not not the same obviously not the same person, but not, not even the same type. Like, right. Scheider's the more sophisticated action, th- the thinking man. You know, Steve McQueen's like the kind of like roughneck that I can imagine really getting behind that truck and, and all that stuff. I mean, I thought Scheider did actually quite a good job. Yeah. But I don't know. It's it's hard because having not seen Jaws until I was much older, um, too triggering. Well, <laughs> too trigger. Yes. Uh, my my uh, uh, real initial exposure to Roy Scheider, uh, the first thing I really saw him in was All That Jazz. Okay, fine. The real thing was his cameo in that Coppola, what's the Legal Eagle movie from the 90s? Legal Eagles. Where he's like the evil, <laughs> I wish. Where he's like, he's like the le- he's like the evil corporate exec. It's like a time to kill maybe or something like that. Sure. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the first one that like made an impression on me was All That Jazz. And him being womanizing Bob Fosse, tap at a toe uh, is very different from quote unquote Juan Dominguez uh, in source. Yeah. yeah. And no shade to Roy Scheider because he is very good. One thing that I did oh, think yeah. was interesting uh, to 
once again mentioned the Friedkin uncut documentary. They uh, Quentin Tarantino is one of the people they interview on that, and he just he straight up says like, "Oh, Roy Scheider is completely wrong for the part." Which, what does I, he know about casting movies? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's true. I, like, yeah, I, I mean, like I, I don't know. I, I think I don't. I think he was good. I think he was great. I think McQueen would have. Because I was reading, what didn't he want like Clint Eastwood at one point? Too? Yeah, Clint Eastwood was bandied about as a name. Um, he want, fucking, he um, wanted like a real, he wanted like a man's man, it seems like. And Shire's more of like a dad's man. He, he's like <laughs> the tough, he's like a tough dad. He's not yeah, like Yeah, because even, you know what I mean? even in French Connection, he's, you know, the uh, the more grounded of the of the two between him and Gene Hackman. Like he's the, yeah, the more responsible yeah. cop. Yeah, uh, Hackman is just like off the chain. Yeah, he's Shider's just kind of trailing in his wake. Um, right, got to you. Got to see him in 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 class action. <laughs> well, speaking of men's men, um, Freakin also talked to Robert Mitchum when he was cast. Right, Bobby this. Mitchum. Yeah, and right. uh, Mitchum was like, "You're crazy. Like, I'm not going to the fucking." Dominican Republic, <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck you. Uh, I mean, it looked, I looked really miserable. I don't know. Have we covered all our bases on William Friedkin's sorcerer? We, we haven't talked about the uh, unspoken character and all this. Was just that amazing bridge, that entire set piece. Oh my god! It's yes. Uh, well, so from what I read, they they like employed hydraulics yes. and all sorts of crazy things to like. That was John it looks yeah, it's like a theme park ride. It's just this like perilous, yeah. cursed as hell bridge over the river Styx. Fuck it. Why isn't that Universal contributed half the money? Why isn't that at Universal Studios? Yeah, come on. Because it was a plot. Oh man, Gulf plus Western, get your act together. Ride? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would yeah, get take the Indiana Jones ride technology oh. from Disneyland. Give us a Sorcerer theme park ride. For the first time in my life, I would buy a theme park season pass for that <laughs> and just ride that all goddamn day. Yeah. You know, you get like the, the splinters and the, um, uh, you know, smell of a, a tree sap in the air and uh, uh, napalm in the morning when they blow up the tree. It's yeah, I would Amen. I would ride on that studio tour. You get hella sick to your stomach because you got a tropical disease just from riding the ride. Well, they'll put like a thing in your seat that vibrates and blow some water in your face. There you go. Mm. And yeah. um, one, one of the most heart-stopping things about that sequence, of which there are many, is um, the scenes head-on of the truck where it's tilting on the bridge. Yeah. And you're mm -hmm. like, there is no fucking way that's going to stay <laughs> upright. And it does. Apparently on the set, it fucking didn't. There were a bunch of times mm. when the truck just tipped into the fucking river. Yeah, it is. Oh my God. Uh, it's you know sort of uh, you know more more real than real. It is just this baroque set piece. Um, and yeah, I love that. You, you think that the truck, you know, and the guy behind the wheel with all the nitroglycerin, like he's at peril. But no, that's the the spotter who's going to get run down or like drowned. Like it's it's just a, or, a nightmare. Or crushed and, and impaled by branches. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you get it twice. Because you have to, you get to see both trucks going over. I'm, I'm not crazy, right? Yeah. No, and you're if right. You, yeah, because the second time they got to use the winch, and that would be a strength That's... check. So the problem <laughs> is that whoever has higher decks is behind the wheel with the higher driving ability, and then this based on this movie the is so effect is how many rounds before you're able to pull the truck. 
This movie was so harrowing that Darren was hallucinating like Roy Scheider in the in the final <laughs> sequence, and he confused the two truck sequences. He's like, I don't know if it's two or one. I'm telling you, I was I kept on being like, is this a is this a continuity thing? Like, why does it have this like you know maximum overdrive facade <laughs> on on the tr- on the truck yeah. in one, and then like, but then it's like a more like dainty truck. And then I was like, oh, because oh, it's two different trucks. <laughs> I like couldn't. Yeah. I like could not believe it took me an hour and a half to realize it was two different trucks. Now, I, I've got to... the whole part where there was four characters and it wasn't in English and it just jumped all from four corners of the globe. But two trucks? You kidding me? Yeah. You know, for me, yep. when it comes to auteurs, there's William Friedkin and then there's Stephen King. Amen. <laughs> well, you know, they, they run maximum... on the same fuel. <laughs> they did the problem hey stephen king loves sorcerer yeah, yeah. As, as he should but um i found that the problem i had with maximum overdrive which i only watched about 15 minutes of on tv is that it really hits the high point with the very first sequence where um, right yeah well that, that's called himself, world building jen yeah where the director himself is at the atm which and uh the bank is the the display on the bank and the ATM is just spitting out obscene messages. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this is already perfect. Like, as a short film. Yeah. The, well, this, this is unimpeachable. It's like but the, now we got all this other yeah, shit. It's, it's Emilio Estevez and bleh. It was the Minds of Moria, you know, that they, they finished that first to secure funding. So, you know, Stephen <laughs> King said, I'm standing outside a bank and the uh, sign says, gives the time, the temperature and fuck you. And they're like, how much money do you need, Steve? And they're like, for blow or for film stock? And, like, uh-huh. and already they're yeah, like, this and... is a terrible idea. <laughs> and that's exactly how it went down. Yeah. Um, some things in Sorcerer that we saw later on. I mean, this um, Tangerine Dream, we got we got them uh, in, in movies after this. Um, there is... Uh, you know, there's there's a, a brief five minutes where uh, where sorcerer turns into predator, where they're doing all the like jungle uh-huh. engineering. Um, you know, there's some uh, uh, improvised um, you know, machinery, this, the likes of which you might have seen in like an Indiana Jones movie. Um, there's uh, um, <laughs> uh, I only thought that they could use the um, nitro to to blow up the tree because I watched Rotor. So I'm sure that was influenced by Sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, Rotor was influenced by that. And, you know, the uh, montage of washing out drivers as, um, you know, borrowed in license to drive. So Sorcerer oh, casts great, a long shadow. Film. Yeah. But, you know, what? one thing it doesn't have, sadly, I mm-hmm. was praying for, even though I knew it was impossible, was for the closing credit song to be Sorcerer by Stevie Nicks. Yes. From uh, didn't get it from uh, sung by uh, Ooh, Marilyn Martin yeah. on the Streets of Fire soundtrack. Uh, and that would have been the slam dunk, yeah. Since we finally, Can... from the moment we finally nailed down the recording of this episode, I have had that song in my head. So it's been like oh, a couple I, yes, weeks. The, like Sorcerer, who, who is, is the master? master? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, now you can finally. <laughs> can, get it how good that. would that have been? Can you imagine if that song played on the closing credits? Well, you know, I think I might just um, drop that into VLC and make it happen. Oh please! 
Yeah, there you go. The haunting, the haunting voice of Stevie Nicks with the ha- the haunting power of sorcerer. Yes, and the haunting visage of Roy Scheider. Amen. To to my point earlier, if they had called the movie Sonder, it would have made more sense. But people would be like, "What the fuck is a Sonder?" And then it would have performed even poorly, more poorly. They should have called it like dysentery. Well, Friedkin's... well, I was I was looking at the the liner notes for the DVD, and Friedkin it was a toss up. It was sorcerer or ball breaker. Ah, and... you stole my anecdote. Oh, <laughs> I, I started the anecdote and you started to interrupt it. Well, I was going. One of us was going to tell it eventually. So, yeah, here you tell it. Well, and we'll have a, a tell off. Whoever held Jen, you're editing it. You, you, you have it say it happens however you want. No, you know what, Tim? I'll, I'll give it to you because you you bested me in in hand to hand combat for it. Well, I have um, melee two, and I have gun combat one plus my dex modifier. <laughs> Wait a minute! Like, where exactly does ball breaker come from? I don't know, but it's just an evocative fucking title. That's great. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess driving Colombian roads in a truck from the 1950s that you built with your own hands would be quite the ball breaker. Well, that would be kidney breaker for sure. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's not streaming anywhere, but there was a Blu-ray release of it, so you, it can be had if you take the time. Uh, William Friedkin's Ball Breaker. Uh, Sorcerer. <laughs> sung by Stevie Nicks. All this ba- this banter. <laughs> Jen, shut up. Fuck you. <laughs>